The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The book of the Revelation, chapter number 2, this morning. Revelation, chapter number 2, for our text reading here today. It is hard to believe, but this is the very last sermon in our series going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we started this series all the way back in February, and uh, we've just been going verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, through the book of the Ephesians, and uh, really studying what the uh, Holy Spirit, uh, through the Apostle Paul, wanted to share with the church at Ephesus about who we are in Christ. And so we've entitled this particular series, Identity, Who Do You Think You Are? And Ephesians chapter number 1, Ephesians chapter number 2, and Ephesians chapter number 3 really reinforce who we are now that we're in Christ. And we saw that we were adopted, and that we were blessed, and that we are holy, and that we are sanctified. And on and on and on, we, we really understood who we now are, that we are in Christ. And so the entire series started uh, in Acts chapter number 16, and we got a, a kind of a preview as to what was leading up to uh, the Ephesians and kind of how that church got started. And so here's where we're going to end the series in Revelation chapter number 2. And uh, this portion of scripture is written about 35 years after uh, the book of Ephesians was written. And we're going to kind of allow Acts 16 and Revelation chapter number 2 to be the bookend as we went through uh, the study of Ephesians. And so I want to just thank each and every one of you for being a part of this series. I'm looking forward here uh, in the fall to launching into a new study as we're going to move through the Gospel of John. And I believe it's going to be one that will be an encouragement and a help uh, to us. And then during the summer, we'll be doing some mini-series to get us through the summer months. But let's conclude the series inside your service program. There should be an outline that you can use uh, to follow along through the Bible study here today. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text this morning from the Revelation chapter number 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 4. And then Pastor Nick is going to come this morning and bring to us our final study in this series, Identity, Who Do You Think You Are? The Bible says in the book of the Revelation, chapter number 2, in verse number 1, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now, let me just pause there for a moment because that can get a little confusing. The word angel literally just means messenger. And so to help you understand what's being articulated here, it might be simple just to say unto the messenger, or or you could literally, just to kind of put it right on the bottom shelf, uh, unto the pastor or the pastors of the church of Ephesus write. Okay, so this letter is literally being written to the leadership, to the pastor there. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And so he's referring to the seven churches. Each of these churches were a light or a candlestick. And so he's teaching here, here's what I want to say to these seven churches. Verse 2. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, 
and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. And so here the author is saying, let me commend you as a church. It's been 35, 40 years that this church has been going strong. He says, you're doing a good job with your works. You're doing a good job with your labor, in your patience, in your perseverance. I want to commend you. And yet, he is going to come in verse number 4, and he's going to give a rebuke. And and I want to say to any church that is moving forward, any church that God has blessed, there is a tendency to begin to simply go through the motions of ministry without the heart and the Spirit of God really driving those behaviors. You're going to see in verse 2, they had works. They had labor. You're going to see they had discernment. They knew who was wrong. They knew who was right. And yet something was lacking inside. And I actually believe this is a danger for any church, but I think it can be a danger for our church as well. That we get so good at knowing what it is we're supposed to do. Knowing how we're supposed to serve. Knowing how we're supposed to persevere. And knowing how we're supposed to discern good and evil. And yet, nevertheless, notice verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Hey, I know you've persevered. I know you've labored. I know you work and I know you're discerning. You know who's right. You know who's wrong. But I've got something against you. Nevertheless, what, what does he say? Because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. What, what do you mean, fallen? They're still doing everything they're supposed to be doing. They're still serving. They're still laboring. They're still, they still have discernment on who's right and who's wrong and who's good and who's bad, who's evil, who's righteous. <laughs> Why do they need to repent? Because it had become self-righteousness. They were doing all the right things on the outside, but they were doing it with a heart that no longer was pleasing to the Lord. And so he says, repent and do the first works. Does anybody remember what Jesus said the first works was? What's the first commandment? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seconds like unto these, love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, here's what they had missed. There was no more of the Spirit of God, His grace, in inspiring, motivating, empowering what it is they were doing. They were dotting their I's. They were crossing their T's. They were walking the walk. They were talking the talk. But they had missed something. And he says, repent. Why? What happens if they won't repent? If they continue in this self-righteous, doing all the right things on the exterior but missing the empowerment of it all. Notice what he says. He says, or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. I'm going to remove your influence. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to shut down this church. You say, God shuts down churches, yes. Except thou repent. He's t- talking to people. Let's have a word of prayer. And Pastor Nick, you come and unpack this passage for us. Have you ever fallen out of love with something? Like you were really excited about maybe like a sports team. And it's draft season. You guys got the first pick. You're excited. This is going to be your year, right? And then about halfway through the season, you're realizing this is not going to be our year. 
that draft pick. He was overrated. Nothing is working the way we wanted it to. And slowly but surely, over the course of the season, the excitement and the zeal that you had for your sports team, it kind of slowly waned off. Or maybe it's not a sports team. Maybe it's a, a new product. Like um, maybe you got a new cell phone, and you're really excited about that new cell phone when you first got it. And you were pumped. You were so excited. This was going to change your life. And then you drop it, and it gets a crack. Or you have it for a long time, and you just kind of get used to it. And, you know, it's not as new as it used to be. It's not as exciting as it used to be. Or definitely with guys, this definitely happens with our cars. We get a brand new car, and it's like the holy grail. You don't touch it. You don't bring food into it. You get it washed every other day. You just relish in that new car smell. You're constantly working to keep it clean. And then a couple weeks and a couple months go by, and then if you look at it now, it hasn't been washed in weeks, and there's crusted up Cheerios in the back seat, and it smells kind of funny, and why? You, you get used to it over time, you get familiar with it, and the excitement kind of wears off, and you could say you've kind of fallen out of love with it. It's kind of the natural tendency of our human heart. We get really excited about something, we get all gung-ho about something, and then slowly over time, we kind of seem to just fall out of love. We get used to it. We get familiar with it. The theme for our message this morning is simply this, a life that glorifies God for the long haul, for the duration, not for a moment, not that some flash in the pan, but a life that glorifies God for the long haul, for the duration, is a life that is overwhelmed time and time again with the person of Jesus Christ. Time and time again, this person throughout their life is being overwhelmed with who Jesus Christ is. As Pastor mentioned just a moment ago, um, this portion, this letter that's written to the Ephesians in Revelation was actually written 30, 35 years after uh, the book of Ephesians was. Most scholars would tell us that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians around 61 AD, and then that John wrote this um, at about 90 or 95 AD, so about 35 years later. And I want you to imagine in your mind the church at Ephesus right after they got this letter from the Apostle Paul. He tells them their new identity. He tells them everything Christ has done for them. And how that is going to change their lives. And I want you to imagine being in a church where you're getting this for the very first time. As I think about it, I can't help but think that that church probably experienced some sort of revival. There's some sort of spiritual renewal, the spiritual awakening. As they're getting who God says they are, as that truth is gripping their hearts, they're beginning to change. And then all the truths that we see at the last part of Ephesians are becoming real in our life. They're submitting one to another. They have this incredible unity. They're appreciative of the gifts that God has given them. Employees are working in a God-honoring way. Employers are working in a God-honoring way. Families are being modeled after Ephesians chapter 6. You could just see and you could just sense that this church was really getting it and God was doing some amazing things in the life of this church. But over the 30, 35 years, something happened. It wasn't something huge and drastic on the outside. It wasn't that sin was entering into the church in, in, its, in, in drastic ways that we would think of it. But their hearts slowly began to drift. Maybe they just got really familiar with everything that Christ had done for them, and it was no longer gripping their hearts like it once had. Slowly over time, they just slowly drifted. But it, you see, you see you, when you read it, uh, Revelations 2, they were still doing all the right things. The Bible says that they were working. They were laboring. They couldn't bear evil. Literally, they, the works of evil, they wouldn't stand for it. They took a stand for what was right, and God commends them for that. They were incredibly discerning. It says, you try those that say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars. So they had discernment. They studied the word of God. They knew the word of God. They had the right theology and the right doctrine. They knew their stuff. 
He couldn't come in and pull one over on these people, not the church of Ephesus. These guys, they knew their stuff. They were smart. They were doing all the right things. They were incredibly discerning. The Bible says that thou hast borne. That means they endured. This church had gone through some difficult times and been faithful. They had borne. They had endured difficult times. They were consistent. Verse number six says, but this thou hast. Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus says, I hate the works of this cult, and you hate them also. That's good. I was kind of doing some studying on what the Nicolaitans were, and a lot of scholars would tell you, this was kind of a fun fact, um, that the Nicolaitans literally means that they were the followers of, anybody want to take a guess? Nicholas. <laughs> that's, that's, that's humbling, right? Followers of Nicholas. A lot of scholars believe that this group was a Greek version of Baal. So when he says you hate the deeds of these Nicolaitans, he's literally telling these people, you hate this pagan worship that's going on. That's awesome. A lot of people will... Um, Ask, you know, Sarah and I, why in the world did you give your son the middle name Santino? I mean, come on, Nick, this is America. That sounds a little weird. Um, and after we gave him that name, we found out Santino literally means little saint. So I'm joking now, learning this. I'm saying, man, his first name is a pagan group. Minerva is a Roman goddess, so that's pagan. I was like, we have to help this kid out. So, you know, little saint, there we go. <laughs> but literally, this church was doing everything right. From the outside, we would look at this church and say, man, the church of Ephesus, if they were here in Fresno, if it was the church of Fresno, we would look at them and say, man, that is an awesome church. Look at everything they got going on for them. But then we come across verse number four and five. And we see somewhere in the course of this 30 to 35 years, the heart began to drift and they allowed themselves to forget. Verse number four, nevertheless, you're doing all these great things, church at Ephesus. You're doing all these wonderful things, commendable things, things that you should be doing. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Then notice verse number five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Which leads us to our first thought this morning. Falling often starts with simply forgetting. Falling often starts which is simply forgetting um about a year and a half ago my wife and i we were going to disneyland with some family and so we drove down to lancaster california which just is at the northern end of la and we spent the night with her brother there then we got up early the next morning and we drove took about an hour two hours to get to disneyland and we left really early in the morning before the sun was up so we get in the car we turn on the lights and we get going well by the time we get there you know the sun's out so i totally am not aware of the fact that the lights on my car are on right so we jump out of the car, we go to Disneyland, we're having a blast, had a great day, tons and tons of fun, made a lot of memories. Then at about midnight, we're waking our way back to the car, and it clicks in my head. I never turn the lights off in my car. And you know how when you get one of those thoughts in your mind, the first thing you do is you try and forget it because you don't want it to be real? That's what I'm doing. I'm like walking back, and I, I'm not telling Sarah, trying to play it cool, just in case I was wrong. I was like, no, I didn't, that's stupid, I wouldn't do that. But I couldn't just shake the feeling. And I was like, I knew it, I know it, I left. And so we get to the car, sure enough, I turn it, go to put the key in the ignition, turn it on, and it's dead. It's like so dead, it's not even, you know, doing the clicking sound. It's just like, it's, it's like Lazarus status. It's gone. Buried in the grave, stinks. And I'm like, great. It's midnight, we're in this big, huge parking lot. All the warm fuzzies from being at the happiest place on earth are now gone. I'm just exhausted. I'm frustrated at myself. And so now I'm going through the humbling experience of asking all these other exhausted random people, hey, um, I was really stupid. I left my lights on. Can you give me a jump, you know? And so I asked one person, and they, they finally, you know, everyone's, they're intimidated, right? Because it's midnight, it's dark, this random guy's coming up to you and saying, will you do this? And everyone's just kind of looking at me. But finally, one person agreed, and they were kind enough to help us get a jump. And it's just taken forever, because, it, I mean, it's dead. It's gone. 
it's taking forever. And finally, the guy was like, look, man, I'm really sorry, but I got two kids in the back. I, I really, I got to go, you know. And I'm like, okay, I understand, you know. So, you know, we wait. I'm half praying, half grumbling. And finally, we see two ladies coming out. And at this point, I'm the one that's intimidated because I'm, I'm trying not to be judgmental, but these ladies, they look really, you know, like they could pick up my car. You don't need to give your car a jump. We'll just carry it for you. Um, and so I, you know, at this point, there's like nobody. And so I go to them, hey, you know, will you give us a jump? My car battery is dead. I feel really bad. And like, yeah, sure, no problem. And of course, they go to their car, and it's the biggest truck in the entire parking lot, right? Of course. And so they give us a jump, and we get on our way. And I was thinking about it. And you know, when we got there, I had totally, for- I totally forgot. You know, everything was good. The light was out. I didn't need my lights. I totally forgotten them. And that's so much like our own hearts. Things get going good. Church at Ephesus, great. Experiencing revival. Got a hold of their new identity. Things are going really well. Then somewhere along the way, it's like they forget God. They had forgotten they needed God. Maybe they got just so familiar with it. It's kind of the propensity of the human heart, though. Deuteronomy 4, 9 says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, get this, lest thou... Forget the things which thy eyes have seen, unless thou depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. The children of Israel battled this big time. Things would be going good. They would forget God, and then, you know, things would start going south. Oh, God, we need you now. It's the propensity of our human heart. The church at Ephesus, same thing. That's why God comes along and says, remember, remember. You guys are forgetting. You need to remember. And if we're to be honest with ourselves, so oftentimes our hearts forget. And it's not a blatant disregard. I don't believe the church at Ephesus was just straight out saying, no, we don't need God. Otherwise, you know, things would have been a lot different. However, it is the propensity of the human heart just to slowly forget and to slowly wedge God out. Given the propensity of your human heart, I find it very interesting that in uh, verse number one of chapter two, he starts off this letter to this church at Ephesus by saying, and to the church of the angel at Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. The very first thing that gets addressed is a reminder that this is Jesus that's giving us this word. This is Jesus that is giving us this letter. This isn't just some thought. This isn't just some idea. Literally, Jesus is coming, and he's saying, hello, I'm right in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. He's reminding them of his presence. He starts off this letter by pointing right back to Jesus pointing right back to the one he forgot. I love how the book of Revelation starts. Uh, if you go back to chapter 1, verse number 11, the Bible says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. It says a few uh, verses later, And I turned to see, this is John, And I turned to see the voice which spake to me. And being turned, I saw the seven golden candlesticks. And in the middle of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, get this, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white as wool, as white as snow, his eyes as a flame of fire, and at his feet like unto fine brass, and they burned in a furnace, and his voice the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. Verse 18, Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Let this visual picture of Jesus Christ sink into your heart. This is who Jesus is. I love John's response in verse number 17. 
John says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. I think in the Greek that means he passed out. Literally, he could not stand before the brilliance and the majesty and the beauty and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ starts this letter off by saying, hey, this is me, this is Jesus. I am the one you have forgotten. I am the one that you have left. I read a commentary on this passage, and I want to read some of what he put uh, down, so track with me a little bit. It said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He is with his church always to the end of the world, filling them with light, life, and love. He was clothed with the robe down to his feet, perhaps representing his righteousness as priest and mediator. The vest was girt with a golden girdle, which made denote how precious is his love and affection for his people. His head and hairs were white like as snow and wool, which may signify his majesty, his purity, and his eternity. His eyes as a flame of fire may represent his knowledge of the secrets of all hearts and discern all events. He can look right into our very heart, eyes of fire. His feet like fine brass burning in a furnace, which may denote the firmness of his appointments and the excellence of his proceedings. His voice as the sound of many waters may represent the power of his word to remove or to destroy. His sword represented his justice and his word piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, Hebrews 4.12. His countenance was like the sun, which when it shines clearly and powerfully is so strong that no mortal can even look at him. Moses got a glimpse of the back of God, and literally they had to put a veil over his face. Isaiah said he saw God high and lifted up, and what happened? He said, woe is me, I am undone. Now John literally falls down at his feet as though he were dead. This is Jesus. This is God. God in all his brilliance and in all his majesty and all his purity and all his holiness. The same God that died for us. The same God that shed his own life for us and gave himself willingly, willingly took the payment of our sins for us. And he loves us. And yet so often we forget. It's the natural propensity of our hearts just to slowly wander. I wonder has, how familiar we are with Jesus. I mean, I know me, I read these verses and I've read these verses my whole life. And it's easy to be so familiar with it that my heart loses the wonder of it. To hear the gospel so much that it doesn't grip my own heart anymore. Have we forgotten? Falling starts with forgetting. The scary part to me about all of this is the church of Ephesus, nothing stopped. They kept right on doing all the right things. I mean, look at it, it says, I know that works. I know thy labor. I know thy patience. You can't bear them that do evil. You've tried the liars and you found them out. You've borne. You've been patient. You've endured. This church is doing all the right things. And yet, their heart underneath just slowly drifted away. It's scary to think that we can keep right on doing all the right things. We can keep up the show, so to speak. And our hearts can just slowly drift away from God. But may I remind us, a life that glorifies God for the long haul, is a life that is overwhelmed time and time again with the person of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our next thought this morning. It is possible to do all the right things with the wrong heart. It is possible to do all, I mean, look at the church of Ephesus. This church is a perfect example. They were doing everything right. If you took out verse 4 and 5, you'd be like, this church got it. They're great. This church is awesome. They're on fire. They're doing it all. But nevertheless, 
I have somewhat against you. See, one of the greatest dangers of self-righteousness is that we're blind to it in our own lives. I mean, if the church at Ephesus knew that they were drifting from God, they would have fixed it. Because they knew everything. They, they had it all. Everything else would seem to be right if they knew. But it's so dangerous because it's just this slow and subtle slip of the heart. We get familiar. We get used to hearing about it. And our hearts just slowly drift away to the point where we're doing all the right things, but with the wrong heart. We cannot rely on merely our actions alone as a spiritual gauge for the heart. We can't. The church at Ephesus had all the right actions. Jesus commends them for it. Other churches in Revelation, you'll see, they got, uh, they got yelled at, so to speak, that Jesus condemned them because they weren't doing all the right things. These are important things, things we should be doing, things the Bible commands us to do. Yet, that alone is not a spiritual gauge for where our hearts are at. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't know our heart. That's why verse number 10 of Jeremiah 17 is so important. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. That's why David had to go to God and say, God, search my heart and know me and see if there's any wicked thing in me. We can't. I mean, if we look at our hearts, all of us are going to be like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> That's the danger of self-righteousness is we, we become blind to it in our own lives. We look at everything that we got going on and think, oh, I'm doing all the right things, so my heart must be good. But the letter to the church of Ephesus and the letter that's resounding to us today is we cannot allow our actions to be simply the spiritual gauge of our heart. Galatians 6.3 says, If any man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When we think, oh yeah, you know, I got this, my heart's great. Watch out. Galatians says we're deceiving our own selves. That's why we must, we must remember who God is. That is why we must, time and time again, go back to who Jesus Christ is. That's why it's so important that we constantly preach the gospel to ourselves and remind us of what Jesus Christ did for us. Remind ourselves of our state before Christ. And then remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us and our new identity now. That is what will break a heart. That is what will constantly draw our hearts to him. Now, a lot of times, it's easy to think, well... I'm doing all the right things, so it, it's okay. No, my, okay, Nick, I get it. My heart may be slipping, but really, what's the big deal? Let's read verse 5. Verse 5, to me, is probably one of the most sobering verses that I've read in a long time. Verse 5 says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place. Now, a candlestick is not the light. This candlestick has no light in it. It's, it just kind of looks nice at this moment. A candlestick is not the light. The job of a candlestick is just to hold up the light. And so as Pastor mentioned, the church is a candlestick. The job of the church is just to shine the light of Jesus, to hold up the light. Jesus says, this is such a big deal. You loving me, as we're going to see in a moment, it's the first and great commandment. That is such a big deal that if you don't repent, if you don't change your mind, if you don't turn your heart back to me, he says, I will remove your candlestick. That's humbling. Because that tells me ultimately God doesn't need me or any particular church to accomplish his will. I'll, I'll, I'll remove your candlestick, Ephesus. If you don't repent, I will remove your candlestick. Like Pastor said, he'll, church is close. I will remove your candlestick. It's sobering to think that this, this is this big of a deal to God. 
This isn't something he's just kind of winking at and thinking, oh, well, you know, I hope they get it. No, he tells his church, you're doing everything right. You got everything right going on. However, your heart is not with me. You have forgotten. You have left your first and most important love. But again, a life that glorifies God for the long haul is a life that is over and over and over again overwhelmed with who God is. The church at Ephesus shows us that falling often starts with forgetting. And that it's really easy to allow our lives and allow our hearts to slip into just doing all the right things but not have the right heart. Lastly, we see the love of God must be the driving force of our lives. Deuteronomy 6.5, we saw earlier the church of Israel had a tendency to forget God. What did God tell them? Deuteronomy 6.5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Matthew 22, 36 to 38, a lawyer comes to Jesus trying to kind of trip Jesus up and catch him in himself. And he says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The primary focus of the life of the Christian ought to be to love God supremely. So often we get so caught up in, oh, I got to make sure I'm doing all the right things. And it's good. I don't, I don't want to demonize doing the right things. He rebuked other churches for not doing the right things. We need to do the right things, but so often we get so caught up in that, we get so caught up in studying the Bible that we miss the God of the Bible. We get so caught up in our doctrine and our study and, and our service and in doing all the right things that we forget the one who we're ultimately supposed to be doing it for. God, the love of God, must be the driving force of our life. Jesus told the church at Ephesus if they didn't repent, he would remove their candlestick. But imagine if they did repent. Imagine a church so in love with God a church that is so wrapped up in what he has done for them and so on fire for God, imagine the kind of difference that church would make. Imagine in your mind a church that is so overwhelmed with their new identity, like we saw this last several months, the book of Ephesians, our new identity. This is who God has created us to be. Imagine a church that is so grateful and so in love with Jesus Christ. Imagine the type of difference that would make. You talk about a church that's going to make a difference so that no honest history could ignore it. It's a church that loves God supremely. All of us would raise our hand and say, yes, I want God's life to be glorified through me. I want my life to glorify God. I want to, glor I want to glorify God with my life for the long haul. Not just for a moment, not just for a day or a year. I want to glorify God for the long haul. I love God supremely. Then we can be the candlestick that shines the light. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. When a church loves God supremely and lifts him up, then Jesus Christ will draw all men unto them. Imagine a church. I believe the Ambassador Baptist Church is striving to be such a church. And it's awesome being a part. It's awesome hearing us all sing and loving God. But we can't allow our hearts to slip. The job of a candlestick is simply to shine, to hold up the light. And when we as Ambassador Baptist Church love God supremely, when God is number one, when he is above all else in our lives, we will be the type of church that holds him up. Then Fresno will get a fresh vision of God. Then Fresno will see Jesus Christ and all his brilliance and all his majesty. And then he, God will draw men to him. Then we can make a difference in the city of Fresno that no honest history can ignore. Then we really can reach the world. 
Because it's not us, it's Jesus Christ working through us. You know, the Bible doesn't exactly tell us what the church at Ephesus did. We don't know if they repented or not. History really doesn't tell us what happened to this church. But I believe we have everything that God wanted us to have. The book of Ephesians reveals to us our amazing new identity that God has given us. It reveals to us how it will totally flip our lives inside out and turn them upside down for the glory of God. And then we have this final letter written to them reminding us we must love God supremely. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.